All right, and you just heard the smooth, sultry tunes of the new Dynasty G-Gens intro music. We're in episode five here, the Dynasty G-Gens podcast. I'm your host, JCJ Dynasty, joined by my co-host, Fantasy Nerd Boy. Nerd, how are we doing this evening? Doing very well. Yeah, I, I was just kind of getting into it at the beginning here while we were backstage talking about how I was on StreamYard last night and waiting for you. And I really thought that you had a busy day in the cubicle and you weren't, you were yeah. just pulling a no-show. So I, I texted JC um, probably at 9.05 last night, just wondering where he was. And um, I got the days wrong. So I'm grateful that we could get this going tonight and we made it work. Um, we do have a great guest on tonight. Somebody that is um, in the Discord. And I'll let JC give you that intro. Um, I'm very excited to be here with them today. So go for it, JC. Yeah, without further ado, we have on a contributor for Football Guys and the Devi Royale. You can find all the stuff on those on those sites. Jason Stein, welcome to the show. Jason, how are you this evening? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm excited to be on the show um what was the the new intro um i was i was kind of expecting the spongebob uh krabby patty uh training video uh music so what what where'd the new intro come from i don't really know it was it was <laughs> kind of this is the test run and okay cool. I, I think we're gonna go back to spongebob so we're, we're kind of mixing and matching right now as a new podcast we're just trying to figure out the best intro the outro um it's it's all just kind of we're just throwing it out there and seeing what yeah. what sticks best. So yeah, I think I we're gonna... we had to class it up for Jay a little bit. Uh, <laughs> didn't have him rolling in here with the with the SpongeBob theme song rolling, so we get him some it smooth like he, jazz he, vibes. He wanted the SpongeBob, so I, I wanted. Uh, so I didn't watch SpongeBob too much when I was younger, but my daughter, for some reason, has like gotten really into it, and now we're just like what like crushing SpongeBob. Nice. And um, so, yeah, like I definitely related to that for sure. Yeah, I like I like having, you know, kids at that age that you're you're kind of getting to rewatch some stuff that you either <laughs> missed or are just forgot about. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. You know, like, I, I can't. That's one of the not the best part, but one of the great parts about being a dad is really get to relive your, your childhood, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. So Jay, we usually ask a few questions of the guests before we get rolling into the, yeah. the meat of the meat the I mean the potatoes of the show. Um, so just the first baseline question is how did you get started in fantasy football? And then ultimately how did you decide that you wanted to start creating your own content in space? Yeah, so um, I I'm gonna age myself here. I actually got started in 1998. I was in middle school. Uh, which is pretty pretty young, I think, for for starting into fantasy football. I played okay. on a uh, yeah. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but did you say middle school? Middle school, yeah. So you you were yeah. like 12, 13, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had this I had this uh, club soccer coach. We I played tribal club soccer, um, and um, he got us like he was super into it. Um, he got us started. Um, and that was, that was the first, that was Peyton Manning's draft year. So that was the Peyton Manning Ryan wow. Leaf draft year. That was, that was that year. Um, and the next year I started commissioning my own league, called it the Stein fantasy football league. And it's still actually around. So we nice. have a lot of like guys <laughs> that have been doing it for that long. And back then, um, we were leaving lineups via voicemail. So you'd have your team. You'd have to call the commissioner and leave a voicemail for who you wanted started that week. And if you wanted to do any waivers or stuff like that, you'd have to call and check in to see who was available and stuff like that. 
Um, and then um, for for to get the scores, um, you had to go to the newspaper. They put all the stats in the newspaper. And my mom loved this because um, it gave me like something to like, you know, practice my mathematical skills and stuff like that on. And I'd go to the newspaper and tally up all the points based on the rules and settings and stuff like that. And eventually it, it went into like there's this software that you could purchase on a, on a CD and download and you can download all the stats on the software. And then it turns into obviously what we have now and ESPN and, and sleeper and MFL and stuff. But that was, that was my intro into fantasy football. And, and basically I played redraft like every year, like for a while. Um, and then I got into dynasty in around 2014. So like 10, nine, 10 years ago, um, I was, I was actually in this like redraft league from uh, one of my college buddies. It was like a Yahoo league. And, uh, my buddy, I, I had one, I had one or come in second place. So first or second place for like five years in a row. And my buddy who was like really in the dynasty, you know, all that stuff. He's like, all right, you gotta, you gotta get into this deeper. You gotta go start playing dynasty. So he introduced me to MFL discord, all that stuff all at once and I sort of absorbed it all and I was very bad the first few years I got into it and then I started you know getting better at it and started learning how how you know the strategy works and everything and reading all the content that goes along with it um but it, it took me a while to to get in there so that's sort of that's sort of the the story of of you know me first starting into into fantasy football and then dynasty football yeah, so I expected to have my mind blown a couple times during this episode just because I know that you approach Dynasty from a completely different lens as most people. I was not expecting to hear that you were in middle school in 1998. You look like you're my age. I'm, I'm 27, so I, I thought you were, I don't know, at most like early 30s. Like I'm... I'm mid, so shocked. Mid 30s. Mid 30s. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm shocked by that. Um, <laughs> you look great for your age. I'll tell, oh, I'll tell you that. So, thank you. Thank you. you know, yeah. you, and, you and Nerd as well, you guys both look younger than, than you guys actually are. So, that's great. Um, how did I'm, you get Sorry to interrupt. I'm, I just love that you started in in middle school um, and the idea of having to leave voicemails for lineups and rosters and the waiver is hilarious to me because Isn't that hilarious. anybody yeah. that has complaints about being a commissioner now in sleep where it's like, you do nothing. You don't have to do anything. You just are, you're just there, you know, you set up the draft and you get people in it, but like that's the extent of commissioning most of yeah. most times in a sleeper league um but that's just incredible to think that someone's sitting there listening to 12 guys you know list off <laughs> players and they're they're like you're writing them down and crossing them out and you know that's that's incredible yeah yeah so, it was a different time back there but it was fun it was there was uh like i don't know you, you feel like uh i don't do this anymore but like you know the guys that like to write stuff down it, it kind of felt like there's something you know, like to it like you're you know, calculating out a math problem or, you know, stuff like that. It, it just felt a little different than it does now. And um, it was definitely a different time then, but it was, it was fun. It was really fun to do it that way. Nice. That's so cool. Yeah. So in 2014, you got the itch, you, you did the dynasty yeah. thing for the first time. Oh, yeah. How did that transition into, Hey, you know what? I think I got a good enough grasp on this and yeah. we're all learning stuff every single day. I'm not saying we're not, but how did you finally decide, Hey, I'm going to put some of these takes out like on the internet and see what people think about them. Yeah. Um, so 
Okay, so I was the kind of like quiet guy that like wouldn't say anything in any of the chats and would just like win at the end of the year and people would be like, who is this guy? Um, and that, that, that was sort of what I did. That was, that was, that was kind of how I approached it. Um, and then, um, I, you know, I, I actually got into this thing called uh, Campus to Can C2C. Yep. And I played a year and I was like, wow, this is really, this is a really challenging, different way to think about Dynasty, Devi, all that stuff. It's like the next level. Um, so I, I got a, um, I, I started a league, um, commissioned a league, found a whole bunch of guys, like my normal um, group of guys that I play with for Dynasty and Devi and all these different formats. Not all of them were like very interested in getting that. So I reached out, I put it on the boards and stuff like that to get people to join in. So I got, I got the 12 people when we started this campus to Canton league. And I put in the, the disc of uh, actually we were using Slack for this one. I put in the Slack chat, uh, this, uh, a channel called, uh, Jay's analysis. Um, and I just started all those things that I thought to myself that I did in the backgrounds. I just started like, because this was like a new league and I had new people in there, I just started like writing stuff and and putting stuff out there and i you know i talk about how i think about different prospects and in, in the, from a debbie perspective without without giving away too much but like just you know talking through things and and, and bouncing ideas off of these people um who you know all are awesome and, and gave me feedback and and would tell me right away wow this is this, this is dumb jason don't do this anymore this is this is this is bad uh or this this is really cool i really like this and and actually um unbeknownst to me there were a couple of guys that were in the league that were um that were actually content creators so this this guy named uh josh chevalier who is a cff guy um he reworks at fantasy points um and uh he was in the league and he eventually after reading a bunch of this stuff he's like you know hey man this is this is pretty good i got that feedback from a couple of these guys this is this is worth putting out there and so at that point i was i had no idea what to do um, I, you know, used Josh. He put me in touch with a guy named Kevin Coleman, um, at Du Bois underscore 22. They, they had known each other for a long time. Um, I, I, I didn't put all my eggs in one basket. I sent all this, this report out to a bunch of people. Um, and I, I sent it to Christian Williams, who was, is, he's a local Columbus guy to me. I sent it to a, a, a fantasy intervention. I sent it to a bunch of guys to, to read it and get the feedback and just, you know, talk and see if they can put me in, in touch with anybody. Well, Christian, um, now who is, you know, business partners with Kevin, he also told me to reach out to Kevin Coleman. So now I got, I got two, two, um, hooks there in Kevin, um, and Kevin read the stuff. He got back to me right away. He said, you know, like, okay, let's, let's see if we can get this out there to somewhere. So he, he asked around, uh, in a Kevin Coleman way, um, went to bat for me. Um, and, um, he got me, uh, a couple of places that, you know, looked at the work and, and, um, you know, got me the introduction, the interview and stuff like that. And I ended up going with, um, dynasty nerds, um, Dennis Bennett, uh, who's, uh, at culture coach um one of the main guys editors there at um, at dynasty he's the guy that gave me my first shot and really what i had was like a, a giant book report like a dissertation and he worked with me to try and like make it into something that could be usable from a fantasy you know uh, per, um, content producing perspective so you know like we shortened everything down made it a big series where there were different parts and and, and made it more easily digestible um you know, like it, it was, it was, 
there was like citations and um, graphs and all this other stuff. And that, that's just like kind of who I am as a person, um, that kind of stuff. So it took me a while to learn how to, to write the right way. But that's that was sort of my story that, that you know, the, the just sort of the connections actually just going out and writing um, and then, you know, getting feedback and get, uh, you know, refining the process, getting better and better. And then sort of networking and find a, trying to find my shot um, at somewhere. And, and, and Dennis Bennett at Dynasty Nerds, those guys, there's some really great guys over there. Um, I encourage you to reach out to guys like Kevin Coleman, to, to Christian Williams, to a, a guy like Dennis Bennett. Um, if you're interested, uh, my, my, my first recommendation is just start writing. Find who you want to write for, even if it's in your, your fantasy football league like I did, or you know, just your buddies. Uh, even if it's five people, even if it's three people that you're writing for the people that you want to write for and then get their feedback and see what that is and just start doing it. Because the more reps you get, the more times you're doing it, um, the, the better the product's going to be for when you actually do get your shot. And it, 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 it pro- it's probably will take a while for for me. It took a while for me for, for most people. But, you, you, you know, once you get those reps in, um, you know, you'll, you'll, um, and you get your shot, you're in a much better starting spot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You are, you are what the U.S. Special Forces and Mike Tomlin call the gray man. So that's just a <laughs> nameless, faceless guy that flies under the radar. He's not the top of the class. He's not the bottom of the class, but he gets through and at the end he wins because he doesn't make any enemies and nobody truly knows what he's doing. He just finally gets to the end and wins everything. So that's that's who you are, I suppose, in your fantasy leagues. I would urge everyone who's listening, be be aware of who the quiet guy is in the room because the quiet guy that doesn't say anything, that's the guy that's the assassin. You don't want to mess with that guy. For uh, sure. He can be. Yeah. He can be. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever I, watched I, have you ever watched the league, Jay? You ever watched oh, like, yeah. the league? Oh, you know yeah. the Oracle? <laughs> the kid oh, yeah. Oracle? That's yeah. you, man. You're the Oracle. Oh man. What a compliment. Yeah. You guys are you I guys know. got I'm the Oracle and the Gray Man. This is gosh, you guys are feeding the ego a little bit. This is well once, this is awesome. once you said middle school, you know, <laughs> and you're crunching you're crunching numbers on the on the uh, kitchen table with the Sunday paper and stuff, you know. He's got, you gave he's got the TI eighty four out, he's got a great Oracle going. vibes. Yeah. 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 It's it's great, but um I I appreciate you sharing that whole story because it, oh, it yeah, is there's so many people that are trying to separate themselves from just, you know, writing um, traditional articles and really not getting anywhere. Um, so it is, you know, networking, knocking on doors, so so to speak, and um, just getting your name out there and finding Kevin Coleman. And and once he once you find the Kevin Coleman, it doesn't have to be actually Kevin Coleman, but once you yeah. find him. It'll yeah. take you places. So, you know. Yeah. Write. Send your work out. Get the feedback. It you don't you don't have to have any um, you know anything other than just like hey I read your stuff it was good that that is even that is a great feedback because you're making the introduction you're getting to talk to people they might remember you for something and then and then think about you for the next thing so yeah I mean it's it's yeah and and you know like you know, the people that you admire in the space. Those are the people you kind of trying to want to model yourself out of. Those are the people you want to get connected to. Kevin Coleman is a great person like that. If you want to send stuff to me, I'll read it and I'll give you your feedback. So, you know, it's the the, the door is always open. Yeah, you, you do have to kind of put yourself out there a little bit, but like get started. Let's go. Yeah. 
So this is my fault. I didn't ask you what your favorite TV show was before the show. I, the, I yeah. sent you the show sheet, so I'm sure you have your favorite show. You're a prepared yeah. guy. What is yeah. your favorite TV show? Um, do you want a short answer or a long answer? Whichever you prefer. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I'm, my wife and I, we're TV people. We watch a lot of TV movies, stuff like that. I, Being the analytical person that I am, I have like a, a Google Sheets where I have – all of my TV shows that I've watched that I've ranked. I knew it. Um, and so I have everything, everything down. Um, like I can break out the categories here for you, but uh, uh, if, if we want to stay, you know, like short here, my favorite show at the moment is Ted Lasso. Today's today was, today was the day um, we saw the last Ted, Ted Lasso episode. So, you know, I'm kind of feeling everything. Um, about the the series the and the digesting thing, right? Taking digesting it all in right now. But I have my, not my, seen the last episode, so if we no spoilers, <laughs> no spoilers, no spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but you know, my favorite shows in in general, from a, like a drama perspective, are Breaking Bad, The Wire, Sherlock, Better Call Saul, Peaky Blinders, Succession, Vikings, Westworld, Severance, The Newsroom. The Newsroom is one that I watch a lot. Um, I really like the alternative reality shows. Those are some of my favorites. So like the man in the kayak high castle, even though I like hated the ending of that was really good for all yeah. mankind is a series on Apple, which is, I think is really good. I like the dystopian zombie shows though, um, as well. So like the most recent one is like the last of us. I really like that. Yeah. Um, the comedies, I'm a big office guy, Kirby enthusiasm, uh, arrested development. The new ones I've been into really lately are, um, Barry, uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, I recently started Dave, who like um, Christian Williams at the WRL and football guys, he like tweets about that all the time. Like, all right, fine. I got to figure out what this is. And I recently started that. Um, my wife doesn't watch that one with me, but um, I'm getting through it. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty good so far. But yeah, I like that. So yeah, Ted Lasso is my answer. But um, I, I ended up going with the long answer anyway. Sherlock in the newsroom. Sherlock was a BBC Sherlock. short series with Benedict Cumberbatch playing Sherlock Holmes. Fantastic. Yep. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Newsroom yeah. as well. It got cut short, but also a, just a really well-written show. I think it's an Aaron Sorkin show, if I'm not mistaken, as well. That so, is correct. Yeah. And Jeff Daniels plays a really good character in that. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of really good characters uh, yeah. in that show. And that's one that I actually – like the the – it doesn't stand up to the test of time in terms of like the the con the 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 news and the content because it's, yeah. it's a story about the news, mm -hmm. but like it also stands up to the time because they deal with a lot of the like some of the issues that we even currently deal with, and it's one of yeah. the ones that I like to I like to come back to and watch because it it's it kind of gives me hope and is a little bit uplifting. So yeah. that's that's one that I like to watch over and over again. All right, so who's the best dynasty manager? Who do you think would be the best dynasty manager out of Ted Lasso, the cast? Yeah, so like, um, uh, like I'd say top tier are probably like Coach Beard and Nathan Shelley because of the the um, the the tactics, the strategy type of thing that they they can provide. Uh, but I'm not going to go with the obvious. All right, um, so that's those are the guys I probably wouldn't do. I think um, Coach Beard is just like a little bit weird for me. Um, but like, you know, he, you know, he, he knows what he's talking about and Nathan Shelley, Nate, the great, um, uh, you know, like he, he has a weird arc. Um, yeah. and you know, like for, I don't want to spoil anything, but like, you, you know, like him, you don't like him, you don't like him, you don't like him, whatever. Um, but you know, like he has the tactics. It's just, 
like maybe he kind of rubs people the wrong way sometimes. So uh, I think I'm kind of out on those two guys, even though like that would, that would be where my mind would take me to um, cl- I, like clearly Rebecca, the team owner and Ted Lasso are guys that are and um, and women that uh, would be at the top there as well. Um, Ted Lasso, you know, he, he doesn't do it the, the normal way, but he gets it done and um, and, you know, like, turns programs around in the, in the right way. And then, and then Roy and Jamie, um, you got to love those two. I think Roy is actually probably my favorite character because, um, you know, I, I, I'm a very nice person generally, but like sometimes like Roy says the stuff that I want to say, <laughs> just sort of kind of being like a big uh, grumpy grouch, but like, he's very kind on the inside. You just have to get past the layer. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not how I am, but it's kind of like, you know, some of some of like the inner dialogue sometimes of what I think. So long answer, but I'm going to go with Sam Obasanya. Um, you know, he is, he is probably one of the better players on the team. So mm-hmm. like, you know, he's got the intelligence and the athleticism and um, you know, he's, he's, everything you'd want in a star soccer player. He's humble. He's kind. Everybody likes him. He goes and he works really hard. Um, and, um, you know, like from that perspective, you think, okay, smart, kind, can can get along with everybody, and he's a winner, um, and, you know, being one of the better players on the team. So that's I think that's what I'll go with. What do you guys, what do you guys think? I thought this was a, that was a long answer to you to get to Sam eventually. Um, <laughs> I my initial thought was Coach Beard because he is yes. like the chess he is the chess master. He does know how to how to set things up. He's very intelligent. He knows a lot of different things about a lot of different categories and stuff. So I think he would have the most broad spectrum of knowledge as well as the strategic advantage to, to back it up. So I think he brings like the most to it. Like Colin, I would have to worry about him being bullied and like somebody just running like a second yeah. roster, like a shell company, like off of his roster, pretty much. They just keep bringing <laughs> in like assets off of his team. So I think Coach Beer was my answer, but I, I like Sam uh, for, for an answer as well. Nerd, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I also like Beard, um, but I, I'm going to go Lasso because he feels yeah. chalky to me. He, I just, I'm a big believer in somebody that can build strong relationships in fantasy, someone that can, you know, become a good friend. Like I, I like to be friends with everyone in the startup. I'm, I'm your best friend in the startup. I will, you know, put my arm around you and tell you everything that you want to hear. And um, <laughs> not even manipulation. It's really, I like to, I like to talk to in startups. I like to get in someone's DM and just, you know, tell them that I like the, the way they're, they're moving. And, and you leave and, a chocolate um, mint think, on their pillow at the end of the day though. Right. When you go and turn yeah, over the bed at, at night, I, I talk to them about there's a talk about going to draft and then and then I send them a, an awful trade and see what they think. Um, but, Dr. But, Dr. Sharon is a sneaky one too. Hmm. Um, like from a psychological yeah. perspective. So yeah. like you can get in there and kind of figure out what people want and stuff like that and you know she's super smart and stuff like that. That that could be an interesting one too. Yeah. 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 I think I go with the, the person with that can build the best relationships personally yeah but i like that i like that one yeah ted would be a great league mate danny rojas would be a great league mate um because they're just so happy all the time really you just can't spin anything keely keely yeah. might actually be pretty decent at, at being a manager as well honestly 
Yeah. She could be she could be a little, a little manipulative at, at times, but kind of plays it to her advantage. So, um, so the last couple of episodes we've covered positions. So we've asked people what their favorite player was for fantasy and real life purposes. That's not really the direction that this episode is going to to go. And we will talk about individual players, but I was going to ask you what's your favorite value that you've projected correctly as a dynasty or Devi prospect, and which one. Did you get wrong that you still can't believe the guy didn't turn out to be good? <laughs> yeah, so um, so I do a series on the football guys called um, the Dynasty Investor. Um, one of the things that I brought to or I wanted to bring to this um, was sort of like this accountability. So um, w- the way that I do accountability is I keep track of a, of a I have a track record and it gets published in each article. And it tells you when I'm buying something or when I'm buying a player or selling a player. Uh, so I'm giving you my recommendation, the price of the time, and then not only the price uh, at where you are, but um, with a price that I think you can get to. Um, and all this price stuff has to do with KTC. Um, and so I have this very like definitive um, process and a track record. So it's very easy for me to pull out and see, okay, which guys did I hit on? Which guys did I miss on on these trades? Um, and so I can I can go through it, and that's that's part of the reason why I got into the content uh, the content creation business in general as well. Is you know I, I was seeing a lot of dynasty content guys talk about sort of this, oh yeah, this guy's a value, this guy's a buy, this guy's a value, and they do it for like ten players. And then at the end of the season, they'd go back and then sort of retweet the ones that they got right. But you never really find out about like the ones that it was, it was hard to keep track. And it was, for me, it was impossible to figure out like who actually had a good track record um, for, of, of the different analysts. And so I wanted to do it differently. And so I have set this up so that you could, you could kind of see what they were. So the last year, this has been a full year that I've been doing this process. Last year, my biggest misses from that perspective was, um, I had a buy on Tom Brady. I thought he was going to come back and have another one more really big season. Um, I capitulated on him and I gave up on it. I was also, I thought there was asymmetrical return on a Gronk too. So I thought if he came back, he was going to skyrocket and he didn't come back. I guessed wrong on that one. So it didn't work out and I had to eat eat those ones. Um, there's a couple other ones, um, Deontay Johnson, Kyler Murray, Trey Lance, who um, I am still advocating you should buy these guys. I think that it's like a timing thing. I think it'll come around, but for the most part, I've lost quite a bit of KTC on those guys. Um, there's a couple of guys here, uh, Brandon Cooks, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, David Bell, and Noah Fant. Those guys are still on my buy list. I am wavering a little bit on these guys, especially a guy like David Bell, who you know is now in a crowded Cleveland wide receiver room and, and didn't really hit. So like I got to come to terms with reality um, soon to decide whether I want to like keep that as a buy or not. So I'd say the, the biggest probably miss I've had so far is Deontay Johnson, uh, but I'm still pumping it pretty hard for him. I think he's a value. I think that um, he can offer you the points per game that you need and he trades cheaper than, than the guys that are even anywhere close to him. Um, the couple ones that I got right last year, I got Justin Fields right last year. Um, I was, I was, I the way that I do my value, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I was, I was higher. I thought Justin Fields was um, should be valued similarly to 
to Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance. And at the time, Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance were valued much higher than Justin Fields um, last year, um, last offseason. And so I, I had Justin Fields as one of my buys. I had a Justin Fields versus Trey Lance pairing, like um, go sell Trey Lance for Justin Fields plus a lot more. Um, Kenneth Walker III, when he got up to RB1, sort of uh, uh, midway through the, the season, I was uh, uh, back in November. I, I was came out pretty strong, like we should be selling Kenneth Walker. That was one of the bigger um, bets that I made, and I, I reversed that after the draft. So after they drafted Shaq Charbonnet, his his price finally fell down to where I thought his price target should be, and so I, I reversed or I, I moved him from a sell to a hold at that point. So I think he's kind of getting closer to where fair value is. Um, Justin Herbert was one of the bigger ones that I had let, right last year. Last year it was Herbert. Mahomes and, and Josh Allen's at the very top. And at, from a KTC basis, they were within like a few hundred KTC points of each other. And I, I said, okay, Herbert is not like the other two yet. Maybe he gets there, but he's not there yet. So um, I had like, I picked up about a thousand or more KTC from that trade. Um, Amara say Brown, I got right a couple times last year. Uh, I said, you should buy Amara say Brown. His, his price took off. Then I said, okay, let's, let's, let's be done with that buy. Um, um, and I moved him to hold and then his price came down again and I said, all right, well, let's jump back in. Let's buy him again. Um, and it went back up. So that was a good one. I got Gabe Davis, right. Um, and Christian Kirk was one that I got. That was a pretty good, um, size bet. And again, all these, the actual, like when I say buy, when I say, um, um, downgrade to hold or when I say, say sell and then, um, upgrade to, to hold, um, that's all accounted for in the track record. So you can see that in each one of my articles, you can see, you know, the the different KTC that I'm adding throughout the process. Yeah. And we're going to cover the, we're going to cover your process and stuff uh, just in a couple of minutes here, actually, because you bring up a lot of points and you're, you're talking about keep KTC points. And I want to get into exactly what that means for people. I've read your work, so I know what it means, but I want other people to know, to know what, what you're talking about there as well. Um, nerd, who are some guys that you've hit on? Some guys that you haven't hit on in the past? Hmm. Um, so biggest hits usually come from rookie drafts for me. Um, Garrett, Garrett Wilson was a, a really big hit. Um, so let me, let me backpedal a little bit. I know that I'm actually relatively new to fantasy at, on Twitter and as a whole, <laughs> in general. Um, so my hits don't go back too far because they weren't really public back then. Um, I, I have a fantasy basketball background, so I have always been into fantasy football and I've always played, but I've never really gotten a content creation or put myself out there. So there's, there's no track record of my hits past last year. Um, so the, you know, I had Garrett Wilson up there as my wide receiver, one of that class. And I had, you know, I, certain takes saying that he was going to be um, within that Waddle territory um, in, you know, in a year's time, I, I which is pretty spot on. So um, is a somebody that I was buying for Olave and London with actually a, a plus on top for a stretch of time last year. And, yeah. and, you know, now I think he's a massive sell personally because you know, value itself, nobody's ever safe in my, in my mind, you know, as far as if you're going to get extreme value, if you're going to get that heightened value for someone um, where I don't think it's going to be sustainable over, you know, a year's time in fantasy, 
not to say that I don't think Garrett Wilson won't be there, but I don't know if he's going to take that massive jump that people are going to expect from him as far as um, going into like the, I don't know, he would have to get into like the JJ chase territory to even be higher than where he is right now. Yep. Cause I, I see a lot of people having him over AJB and I'm just not there yet. And I don't think I, I can be there personally, but you know, I, I don't, I don't fault people for having him there. I just think it's a great time to take advantage of that. Um, but uh you know, other hits I had, um, you know, I was I was advocating for selling Najee for Brees Plus last year, um, something that I I took advantage of a lot. So I got you know Najee for Brees in a first a couple times, and um, you know just just the idea of taking Najee, who I I didn't think was gonna f- fall back value wise. Um, particularly based on his um, performance, but it was more about his workload. And I I couldn't see that he was going to sustain that. And obviously that injury really put a a damper on his value in general. But, um, you know, it it was, it was a great time to sell him because, you know, he was going in first round of a lot of super flex leagues last year um, that I saw in startups. And I was just like, there's no way that he can keep this. Um, so, you know, in, in general, it was sell Najee, sell, I sold JT, unfortunately, but maybe that's a hit in my mind. Um, so I was doing JT for at DNA and in a first a couple times there. Um, just mostly running back hits of last year because of the fluctuation and in, in the value that we see in that, in that position in general. Um, a lot of misses that I had were within wide receivers. Deontay was a, was a miss for me as well. Um, I, he's a, he's a great buy for me right now, but he was somebody that I thought was going to be QB proof and, and really just kind of fly with whoever they had under center um, just because of the target machine that he's been the first couple of years. And I didn't really see him having that difficulty with, with Pickett under center, but you know, I think that's going to be kind of going to improve a little bit with the, you, you assume that Pickett's going to improve. So it's, you know, I think he's a good buy given the value that he's, he's taken the hit that he's taken. Um, Darnell Zero Mooney, touchdowns. I know. Zero it's touchdowns. Sustainable. It's that not does sustainable. Not repeat. You can't, you can't just – it's a Miles Sanders situation where, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. It, you have to imagine that he's going to hit pay dirt at least three or four times next year. So that's already putting him in a different tier by itself. I know if that Miles Jason, Sanders, maybe he gets 11 touchdowns. That would be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I think, I think moving from Philly really didn't do him a lot of favors, but I think he'll definitely get the usage. Um but I don't know if the opportunity is going to be there, like yeah. that high-powered offense that he was on. Um, yeah, and, and then, like I said, Darno Mooney was a massive hit, a miss for me. And I, <laughs> I, I had my reasons for being in on him, um, you know, as ADOT, and, and just, you know, he, he was really coming on with that chemistry with Fields, and I had Fields as a, as a, a riser last year. Um, one of my guys last year as well, somebody that I knew that was, he was just going to have that, that hurts kind of trajectory. And, um, I saw that Mooney was going to be the the benefactor of that, but I was very wrong on that situation as well. Um, I think my process has refined itself a little bit from last year. So I'm, I'm hoping that the hits come a little more steadily this year. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just cover mine real quick. 
Um, probably my two biggest misses so far. And I have, like you, nerd, I haven't had my takes out there for that long on on Twitter. So I'll just have to take my word for it. I, I was a huge Josh Rosen guy coming out. Loved Josh Rosen as a prospect. Thought he was a really good quarterback. Didn't quite understand the uh, the significant upside of rushing. I just thought, hey, Josh Rosen, this guy looks like he'd be a good quarterback. He's He's got a good arm. He's got good pocket awareness. He can make all the throws. He's a smart guy. He can pick up the NFL playbook. Horribly wrong. Just one of the worst takes I've ever had. I, the guy cannot play football. So that one sucked. And then last year, you know, and the crappy part is about this one is that I really liked Amon Ross St. Brown as a prospect, just from like a pure film watching perspective. I was like, I think this guy could be like a good receiver. He gets taken in the fourth round. And then I draft him on like all my dynasty teams. Cause I'm like, Oh, like I like Amon Ross St. Brown, like fourth round flyer at receiver. Who really cares if he doesn't hit? I, I'll get him as my third round pick in a, in a rookie draft. Well, he hit, he hit big time. And then they take Jamison Williams in the top 12. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like draft capital kind of says that they got Jamison Williams. They want to use DeAndre Swift. They got TJ Hawkinson. Maybe this Amon Ross St. Brown work was really only in, in huge part because everybody on the team was injured and he's the only viable target on the offense for like half the season. So I sold a lot of my Amon Ross St. Brown and uh, guess who looks like an idiot right now? Uh, I do. I sold them for pennies on the dollar pretty much. Um, my two biggest hits that I can remember I loved Alvin Kamara coming out, loved everything that I saw in his tape. Um, I think I had him as like my RB1 in that in that class, like over McCaffrey, like over Leonard Fournette. Like it just absolutely loved everything that I saw in Alvin Kamara. Delusionally, mind you, at that point in time, um, because there's no way that he was going over over those guys in the NFL draft. I just I couldn't I couldn't say no to Alvin Kamara. And then um Justin Fields was my Q, was my QB one in that 2021 class. I had him over Trevor Lawrence because I did learn a couple of years later. Hey, this rushing upside thing it might it might have like a little a little uh, significance here for for fantasy assets. So I, I'm this is a Justin Fields podcast. Nerd and I we both love Justin Fields. This is a Kenneth Walker sell podcast apparently as well because I've been trying. I was dumping Kenneth Walker from the second that he hit that RB one price tag on keep trade cut. Uh, just like Jay was advising as well. So I think we all agree there. And yeah, Deontay Johnson, I got a real love-hate relationship with him as a Steelers fan. Uh, he's absolutely infuriating to watch at points. And there's other times where he looks like a smooth, smooth operator. So um, one last question real quick. Keep trade cut. I just thought this would be kind of funny to ask the analytics data guy. Uh, line graphs, scatter plots, bar chart, keep trade cut. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um uh scatter part scatter plots is probably scatter plots is probably the keep yep they can probably tell you the most yeah um line graphs i'll trade because yep. i think they they look they look nice mm-hmm um maybe maybe not um bar charts like i don't know i don't i don't i definitely want to cut them um when i like look look at them i don't i don't really see anything i really like on those that they can tell you like what two things maybe pretty much uh, maybe three things so uh i'm not sure like with line graphs you can put a whole bunch of lines on there all different types of things on there and 
And scatter pots can tell you a whole bunch of things as well. Exactly. Um, so I, I think I'd go with cutting bar charts. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I, I, yeah, I, agree go with I agree with you too. <laughs> You're right. It, it, you're only going to get so much from a bar chart. It's not going to give you what you know a scatter is going to give you. So I, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. I just thought that would be kind of funny. So um, <laughs> to get into the real part of the show, you kind of covered your Dynasty Investor series that you write at Football Guys right now that you originally started the, the concept of at Dynasty Nerds. When you were talking about gaining and losing KTC, the, you have this, this price to earnings ratio that you developed for your series. And I've been... I've been consuming fantasy football content since I was like 14, 13 years old. This is a completely unique idea. I've never seen any content that looks like this. So could you kind of walk? I know you, this is kind of what you do for a living. So what was the, what was the watershed moment that you were like, Hey, I do all this stuff all the time for my day job. Why don't I just incorporate this into my hobby as well? Yeah, so that's 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 pretty much exactly how it goes. Like I, we, I talked a little bit about the accountability thing about yeah. you know, you know, seeing content creators and like figuring out what their track record is. So that's definitely part of it. And a lot of the things that I do in my like current day job, that that kind of stuff applies to what this is. But um, I come from an investment background. Uh, like I'm super into school, super into math, super into all that stuff. Um, and so you know, I, for for work, I create these like giant. Um, valuation models that like are bunch of pages. Um, they all like you know like all all different types of things in there. Um, really hard to follow. But you know when I go and sit in the the meetings when I'm talking to the the sell side analysts like the Goldman Sachs, the Morgan Stanley's, they come and talk. Um, um, you know the, the different companies. You know when it when we want to talk about valuation, we just want to talk quick and dirty. We usually talk in sort of like a, a multiple perspective and, and price to earnings ratio is one of like the more simplest multiples to talk about. So like, it, you know, you can go and you can have this most complicated um, model out there that you, you know, you, you're estimating all these different types of things. There's, there's so much that goes to it. And then when you get in the room and you're actually chatting, you just, you, you don't want to use something easy to talk about. And, um, and the PE ratio is one of those things that I think is, is, is kind of easy. So I do that, you know, in my work, that's how I think about it. And, and then, um, that was something that I kind of just wanted to bring to fantasy football. And, and actually the first, the first variation of this was ADP. So it was a, a way to look at ADP, ADP divided by points per game. So that is how I thought about it originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would just basically like, okay, 1.01 is worth 400 points. 1.02 is worth 399 points. And that, that was my prices. So my price was, was that ADP divided by points per game. And it actually, uh, um, I, you know, I, I tested it out there. I, I threw it out to these guys and it was, it was, it was good. It was helpful, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't very useful because, yeah. you know, in order to put it to work, you'd really, you'd have to like do like 10 startup drafts every year. So you can try and find these values within the ADP. And, uh, I, and so like, I wanted to try and make it more in, uh, useful, um, keep trade cut, <coughs> excuse me, who, which is a, um, uh, uh, a dynasty calculator trade site. They use crowdsourcing to figure out sort of like the, the sentiment of players and it's like real time. So something happens, a guy gets drafted, um, a guy gets cut, uh, a guy goes and off on a really good game, 
Um, there's a new coach. Uh, all that data, all that information gets digested and put into Keep Trader Cut immediately. So people are all going on the site. They're saying Keep Trader Cut and prices are moving rapidly. ADP doesn't move like that. ADP takes a while to move. And and Keep, keep Trade Cut has its issues. Like some of the stuff you're like, you plug it in, you're like, ah, that doesn't really make sense. Or, or uh, like in my league, that won't work. Sure, right. I understand that. Like not all leagues that work that way, that doesn't work. But it is a basis of discussion. It is a way to sort of keep track of where players are moving and what the sentiment is on these players in, in a real-time basis. And that's what you can get from the stock market. So we started. I started using the the KTC as the pricing mechanism for my price to earnings. So it's KTC divided by the points per game to get the this PE ratio um, for for each player. And then what I do is um, I I I, um, I value these players based on clusters. So it's not um, you know this quarterback versus this wide receiver. It's these players. They all go in. They fit into a cluster of. Um, points per game and age and I sort of divvy all, all these guys into points per game and age and the, the reason is is because the PE ratio is more of this relative metric it's not an absolute metric so you can't just look at one PE ratio and the other PE ratio and say well one's cheaper than the other it has to be apples to apples like for like so it has to be um, it can't be Justin Jefferson versus Adam Thielen it has to be Justin Jefferson versus uh, Jamar Chase. And you're looking for those sort of inefficiencies within those little clusters. And that's that's how it works. It's a, it's a relative valuation metric and not this absolute valuation metric. So that's that's sort of like how it, it came about. And, the, you know, with the KTC, it became sort of this sort of this trading style um, where you, you get to be sort of this stock analyst, this player analyst, where you can make recommendations, you can have target prices, um, you can have a track record. And I'm basically, you know, that, that, um, that what, what I see on the stock market as a sell side research analyst, where you're giving stock recommendations. Now I'm sort of doing that same similar process for fantasy football. And yeah, it's something that I hadn't seen in the space. So that's why I thought it was something unique and different. And, um, you know, like for most, for a lot of us who are familiar with sort of the financial markets, PE ratio is is something that's very fundamental in that stuff. It's, it's pretty simple to understand, but it gives you a real, like, uh, um, real understanding and value quickly in terms of what a player's value is. And, it, you know, you can really talk through what real value is where, you know, before when I was telling you, like, I didn't really know what value meant. Like somebody said it was a value. Like, what does that mean? Um, like, you know, how do I trade for them? You know, where do I draft them? Those types of things. But, you know, now I have a way to explain what value is in a way that makes sense to me. And I'm trying to sort of like broaden that out to to all fantasy football to to show you know, people, what you, how you can value and, and, and generally value a lot of times gets boiled down to points per game. So the unique piece about this is that I'm, I'm doing KTC divided by um, points per game for this sort of ratio that then is easily comparable to other things. Yeah. And a lot of people like the crap on KTC that, Oh, like it's nobody votes on those polls. Everybody just clicks. I don't know the players. And that's, that's the end all be all. But like you said, it is boots on the ground data that 
the, this is how players are currently being valued. You could agree with it or not, but it's been tested over a certain amount of people that this is how they are valued. So I think it's really, I think it's really interesting in, in nuts and bolts terms. I mean, to break it down in the simplest possible way, ideally for the price to earnings ratio, you want a guy that has the lowest possible KTC score, but they have the highest possible points per game. Is that, would, would you say that's correct? Yeah, so that would give you a low PE ratio and would show yeah. you value. But what the the next step to that is that it, it only matters when you're comparing it to like for like players. Yes. So, um, you know, let's group. Uh, I just did that. I have a, a running back article coming out here on the football guys here soon. But like, um, so you know, I got. Uh, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Najee Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, and Tony Pollard all in this cluster that are 25 to 26 and score 16 to 18 fantasy points per game. And then I'm looking at those guys' PE ratios, and that in that cluster, the lower the PE, the more value you're getting. Yes. But just a low PE in general does not necessarily mean that you're a buy. Say like Derrick Henry, right? Um, he's going to have a low PE for a long time, because his KTC won't get higher because of age age concerns with him. Like how many more years does he have left? But his points per game levels are are extremely high. So those veterans are different than the potential that you can get from the 25 to 26 year olds and even the under 25 year olds. So it's it's you want to make sure that you're comparing like for like players. So that's why I go through this cluster. Yes, low PE means better value, but it's only in relation or relative to the group of players that you're looking at it against. Yeah. I think that's an important distinction to make. And I, I sent you, I sent you like an example because this is like a common, when you're ranking dynasty tight ends, you have the same top three that are the top three everywhere. It's Kelsey Pitts and Andrews. If you use your price to earnings ratio, you have Pitts off of his points per game last year, which you can't knock him too much. He only played like eight games half the season after the MCL. But his, his price-earnings ratio score is a 71.6. Mark Andrews is a 42.3. Travis Kelsey is a 28.9. But we're comparing a 33-year-old tight end to a 23-year-old tight end, or however old Kyle Pitts is, like 22 years old. So the, the, the values are different, yes. One of them scores significantly more points, yes. But one of them is 10 years younger, that you're going to get a full <laughs> decade of production out of Kyle Pitts, and Travis Kelsey could potentially not be in the league in like three years. So how would you – how would you rate those three given their age and the clusters that you're talking about with the, the price to earnings ratio score that they receive in your model? Yeah, so that's exactly right. Um, so there's two things. The first thing is um, the way that you're calculating um, the PE ratio for those three guys is based on 2022 fantasy points per game. Yes. Um, and that is correct. And just like in the, the PE ratio, um, you can, you can calculate the P.E. ratio based on your trailing 12 months earnings, right? Yeah. But the thing that I'd say on top of that is, and, and, and this is the way that the, the stock market works a lot of times, is companies don't trade on what they just did or what <laughs> happened in the past. They trade on what is going to happen in the future. And yes, what happened in the trailing 12 months is indicative of what's going to happen in the next 12 months. But I would say that what's more important is what's going to happen next season than what happened last season. And so my points, my uh, PE ratios go off of my estimated 2023 points per game as a starting point. So 
um, where Mark Andrews uh, looks like a 42 versus a Kelsey at a, at a 30. Um, I actually have Andrews bumping up on a points per game basis. So in their cluster, which I actually have them in the same cluster, even though Kelsey is six years older than, than Andrews, they actually both trade around a 30 PE right now, given that new projection for points per game. So those two I actually have um, as a hold. And then Kyle Pitts, he is one of my biggest buys um, for fantasy football. Um, I actually have him um, in a cluster with nobody for tight ends. Uh, and so I had to come up and be creative with how I think about valuation for him. Yep. And the way that I did it was I can the, the positional advantage, how young he is, how good he can be. I think of him as similar to what a um, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are for the wide receivers. Obviously, he shouldn't be that at that high of a price. But what I think about him is he should trade at a similar PE, um, but actually I give him a like 10 to 15% discount to their PE. Yep. But then I plug in the points per game, which are obviously much lower than what Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase have, and I come up with a new target. But his PE ratio is much higher than the 30 that you get from um, um, Kelsey and Andrews. And I'd say that 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 makes complete sense. And let me explain why, right? So uh, when you go and value companies on the stock market, right? Um, you know, like some companies who have this larger potential trade mm -hmm. at higher PE ratios, and those guys aren't necessarily um, overvalued or expensive. It's just that there's uh, this future potential that people are trying to keep track of. So NVIDIA, the company that's going crazy right now, um, you know, like passed over a trillion dollars in, in market cap and, uh, you know, just sort of going gangbusters, you know, that shouldn't trade at the same level as a Boeing or a Caterpillar or a Deer. They, they, they're completely different, right? And so uh, NVIDIA PE ratio, justifiably so, should trade at a higher PE um, than, a, than a cat. And you got to find the companies that are, are, are relative, are like for like for those players. So cat and Deer... If you take those two players, so you know Caterpillar makes construction equipment, Deer makes ag equipment. Those guys should trade similarly, assuming that they are like um, run run well, both run well, right? So if Cat was trading at a thirty and Deer was trading at a seventy-five, then I would say, okay, between those two who have very similar potential, there is a value there, and that uh, and they should trade at more of the similar PE, but. Comparing Cat to NVIDIA, those are completely different, and they should trade at different PEs. Yeah. Nerd, if you if you wanted a short from this, you just need to put Kyle Pitts as the NVIDIA of Dynasty Fantasy Football, <laughs> and I think that's going to do numbers probably from, yeah. from this episode. There was things that I wanted to touch on, but I, I feel like Jay was just on a tear right there, and I didn't want to even go in in the middle of that. Um, Jay and I have very similar values, and we get to the same place but we have a different path, you know, like we, we definitely, I am, I'm actually a finance guy. So I, I have that background as well, but I, I don't really choose that avenue when it comes to valuing players for the most part, I do have that as a check and balance system. But for me, it is keeping my ear down and watching trends and then being very active in the startup mock trade um, portion of fantasy, you know? So I'm always, observing and 
I, my DMs are just trade advice, trade advice, trade advice, trade advice. And I get to actually see, and that's the best thing because I have like 50 DMs a day of, hey, would you trade Jamar Chase for so-and-so? Would you trade this for so-and-so? And it's my own little KTC in my DMs. So it's actually like amazing. I get to see the trends and I get to give advice on on these different trades. You know, I get to see like where these people are valued at um, without even going into apps or or necessarily trying to go in through startups or even crunching numbers for the most part. Um, but I do agree that KTC is crowdsourcing and whether you like it or hate it, that is exactly how the market goes. You know, just like the stock market, um, you don't get to choose how these players are valued. You know, it's just kind of how it is. And if somebody is doing this with so-and-so player for so many different times, that's just exactly how they're going to be valued in the market. Um, so that's why Twitter is a great source of just, you know, if you want to take advantage of a certain player market spikes or drops, um, it's great. But I, I just love getting the behind the curtain look um, at Jay's process because it's something I've been very curious about. And I do read all your articles and I definitely um, dive into your, your process without actually knowing exactly what's going on there. So I appreciate that, that, that whole deep dive that you just took there. It's, it's great. And I know like the finance, the financial terms and stuff could be a little off-putting to people that maybe don't know the the financial jargon in what Jay is speaking to. But if you do read the articles, they they are very pretty, they're pretty well spelled out for the the non-initiated to the financial world. Um, I just think it's very, it's very, it just speaks to me because it's put into plain terms enough that it's not subjective. Like you're taking what people value these players currently at their market price and dividing it by what points they have scored for the past season or the past two seasons, you could go as far as you want um, to kind of come up with your, with your own, your own formula or your own value for how it is you, you value these players, but it takes the objectivity out of how do I value this guy specifically? This is, it's a, it's a full slate. This is how the market is valuing this current player. And this is what the advantage or the disadvantage that they provide given this value number. So I think it's, it's pretty well spelled out. And Jay talked a little bit about, you know, you have to equate for a guy like Kyle Pitts that was injured for half the season or a guy like Brees Hall that, you know, like his fantasy points were impacted because he was injured halfway through the season or Javante Williams or somebody like that. So these guys that aren't getting the full workload for their fantasy points per game, you do have to kind of evaluate that a little bit. So while you are looking at the past 12 months and what they have done, you know, you kind of try to take a little bit of liberty. You don't you don't want to be too liberal with that projection. But even if you're somewhat conservative or even somewhat in the middle, I think you get to a, a reasonable conclusion when it comes to evaluating those guys from the model. So I think the model makes complete sense. I think it's great. Jay, have you thought about I know it's hard because there's no KTC for Devi assets. How, are you working on like a way to evaluate Devi guys outside of just ADP. I know you talked about the, the initial start of this dynasty investor series was the ADP uh, equation. So is that what you're working on for Devi or are you kind of trying to narrow it down a little bit for those? No, uh, I don't think it works for Devi. Honestly. Um, I, I have a different process for Devi, which is more like analytics and threshold basis. Um, I, so first of all, like the, the KTC stuff, um, you talked about ADP. Maybe maybe I could do something like that. Um, KTC does have like have a Devi section, 
but I'm not sure many people use it and um, I'm not sure how great or quickly that updates. Um, It, it doesn't necessarily match with what I think would be consensus all the time. So I think that there will be some improvements there over time. Um, And then the points per game piece of it, it, I don't think it translates as well. Um, from a value perspective, because Debbie isn't necessarily about um, fantasy production at the college level. Um, you're trying to find out who would be, who are going to be the best guys in the NFL and produce the best in the NFL. And that's not necessarily always the heavy producers in college. You can have older vets that uh, are in college that are like absolutely crushing it. And, and uh, they will look incredible on a, on, on a Kate, uh, on a, ADP divided by points per game basis, but that when they're not worth anything because they're never going to play in the NFL um, from that perspective. So I just don't think that that type of process works the way I do it is I, you know, I do the analytics and thresholds and I, what I'm basically trying to do is increase my probabilities of hits. And there's certain things that I think, um, and do that at the different positions that can get me to um, maybe a slightly high, higher probability of this guy, you know, being good in the NFL versus another guy who um, potentially won't be. And that's how I kind of look for value. Um, we're doing lots of different things at the, at the Debbie Royal. There's like um, combined Debbie, Debbie dynasty rankings, which we just did a pod on that. We were talking about some of the strategies in terms of that. Um, and um, Kevin and I are working on a couple of different things in terms of value um, in terms of like um, sort of, you know, placing different players in, in different spots across positional wise. Um, you know, like I, I, there, you've seen some of like the trade value charts, maybe something similar to that, but there's a lot of stuff. There's some, a few things in the works when it comes to that, um, um, that process in terms of trying to figure out what, how to value these guys. But really, I mean, like my analytics process plus like, you know, like, you know, thinking about where cost is in terms of ADP and, and those types of things and, and some of the, the, the different strategies that go into it. That's kind of how I'm thinking about value. But the, the real value that I get is, is understanding or giving my cha- myself a better probability or a better chance of a hit when that guy moves up to the NFL. So, I, I you know, basically, I, hopefully I can be better at my rookie drafts than, than people and I can be better or hit better, have a hit better hit rate um, at, at selecting Devies that eventually get, come onto my team. Yeah. I mean, Devy is so hard, obviously with, I mean, we just saw it even this past year of Zach Evans and Sean Tucker were, you know, first, second round picks in Devy and Devy startups. And, you know, they're nowhere to be found right now. So Devy is not an exact science. Um, so I think it would be very difficult to, to come up with a, with a consistent enough formula to project value in that, in that format. But I was just interested to hear if you had anything working in, in that, in that sense. So you did talk about your analytical background a little bit. I'm sure you have your own prospect models and stuff without going into any kind of detail of how you weight any particular one statistic compared to another what are some of the statistics that you find correlate most positively or negatively to future production or NFL success? Would you say? Yeah, I'd say the, the, um, so my model is, is basically like, um, threshold. So I have all these sort of metrics where you, 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 know, you get to a certain threshold and if you get above that, you get kind of get a, a check mark. And if you're below that, you kind of get a red X and, you know, it kind of all adds up 
where I'm hitting a whole bunch of categories, and those categories are um, draft capital, age, size, athleticism, and production. And each position has their you know particular thresholds with that. Uh, but something that that goes across the whole spectrum is draft capital. So that is first round for quarterbacks, first through third round for running back, wide receiver, tight ends. That's when you when I say somebody gets draft capital, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. The um, the probabilities of being successful fall off dramatically after that third round. Um, some might even argue that that should be even higher. Like it should be the top such and such, however many picks. Um, maybe not even going all the way out to the third round, but that's I'm kind of trying to be as inclusive as possible and sort of add all these things up. That's sort of how I look at the draft mm-hmm. capital. Um, age-wise, I uh, I would say I'm kind of a little bit of an ageist uh, when I think um, I want people the the guys that um, outperform early and then go to the NFL early. So those guys that have first second year breakouts are important to me. Um, the guys that go to the NFL after their third year uh, are important to me. I think those guys generally have a better chance of hitting, um, especially if you pair that with draft capital. So those are the those are kind of the the two things. Um, athleticism, well, size. Each one of those metrics for each one of the positions. Like I have these like these things. Those are those are kind of like nice to haves. Yeah, uh, it helps me differentiate between devies and prospects. It doesn't like weigh a tremendously into the process. Athleticism, um, again, like it's it, those are those are very nice to have. Tight end athleticism matters a lot, but um, but for the rest of them, it, those are like nice to have to an extent that they help you get higher draft capital. Um, production is something I spent a lot of time on. It doesn't necessarily it's not the end is end all be all, but that's something that I I spent a lot of time on. Um, and there's different metrics for each position that I, I think are important. So for like running backs, uh, yards per team play, uh, and market share of receptions, and rush yards are expected. Those three things are the ones that I put the most emphasis on. For wide receivers, it's uh, reception yards per team pass attempt. Um, there's a couple other things, but that's that's sort of the market share one that I like to look at the most. Um, for tight ends, it's basically like draft capital plus athleticism. So if you can find the guys that are the right size that are pretty athletic and are getting the draft buzz, that's that's the kind of thing. At quarterback, I find it one of the harder ones to deal with. I have a whole bunch of metrics that I like looking at. Um, yeah. There's 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 this there's this um, publication uh, from the football out uh, football outsiders, I think it is. Um, they have this model called the QBase. QBase 2.0 is the edition they're in now. It's like this statistical model that they put together. I think I found that that's been pretty um, helpful for me in terms of like getting my arms around like uh, who could be uh, a good prospect or not, as opposed to like just looking straight at QBR or anything like that. Um, but uh, also with the quarterbacks, um, you know, having some of that rushing upside is, is something that's important to me as well. Uh, but, you know, there's countless number of metrics that I'm, I'm you know, and thresholds that I'm checking the box off for each one of these guys. And, you know, and really what you're trying to do is trying to put together a picture of, you know, what this prospect could be like, um, you know, does he have what it takes? Does he have what, you know, guys that have come before him and have proven to be successful, does he have some of those similar things? And will that increase my probability of, of this guy actually hitting? And that's, that's sort of the whole process and the, some of the metrics that I look for, for each position. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that covers everything, everything pretty well in that front. I just think it's always funny, like us as like content creators, 
every time you get a questionnaire in the offseason about like two prospects, it's like, oh, would you have this guy? Would you rather have this guy or this guy? And it's like, well, this guy's good at this and this guy's good at that. But ultimately, it comes down to draft capital. And that's always what it's what it is. And like it's like December. We're like, ah, oh, it's going to come down to draft capital. And it's like one of the most important parts of an analytical profile is did this guy get the draft capital? And you don't know that as a content creator until the end of April. And you spend like four or five, maybe even six months going over this guy's analytical profile of his production, all for that to be basically for not. If the guy gets drafted in like the fifth, sixth, seventh round, it's kind of like, well, if he hits, he's just the ultimate outlier of outliers. Other than that, I just wasted five months of my time charting Zach Evans' film. <laughs> I knew you were going to end with Zach Evans. I knew you were going to end with Zach Evans, man. I knew you were going to do that. I knew it. I just knew it. I knew it, man. I knew you were going to do that. I like Zach Evans. I like this film a lot. Just, I just knew right when you started that spiel, though, it was going to end with Zach Evans. I knew that whole time that you started there and then you ended with Zach Evans. I knew it was going to happen. I could have done Sean. You could have just said, could have skipped all of it and just said Zach Evans, and then we got it, and it would have been fine. (laughs) As background to that, I talked about Zach Evans for a long time. I was on Zach Evans for. Man, since last year, I was talking about how big Zach Evans was going to be in the draft and this and that. And I had him above Gibbs, and yeah, it's it was not good. He had good. He had good film. I still stand by that. I think he could still be productive. He just is yeah. going to be a huge, huge outlier if yeah, he's got is, so a very steep hill to climb if that's if that's going to happen. So yeah. Yeah, I, I just like, you know, and for people that, you know, quote unquote, touch grass or whatever, that they they don't they don't look at spreadsheets or metric plots. They just see all these charts and they're like, ah, I don't really care what this is. Does this guy know ball or not talking about these charts <laughs> and stuff? I just like having people that know what these anagrams and all these five letter combinations, what they mean, <laughs> being able to explain it to normal people just listening to the podcast because the numbers do are indicative of the film. So people can say, Oh, like, I don't care what the spreadsheet says, but where do you think they're pulling the numbers from? They're getting it from the film. They're not getting it from, Oh, like, I just think this guy is going to be good because he's six foot three and he scored like a 9.38 on this Raz. Like you're watching the film, you're getting the numbers from his statistics, which is what he's putting on the field. So I think both of them film and analytics, they could co-mingle and they play off of each other. And I think the, the community itself just needs to be a little more inclusive of the entire process. Just because you may not be good at one particular thing, that doesn't mean that you just throw away the entire portion of somebody's work because you don't like it. So um, I like having you on to talk about that because I think that you have a real expertise in it. Transitioning a little bit, could you touch on what it means to be a portfolio dynasty rock dynasty manager and do you think it's the coward's way out of not having a take on a particular player or do you think it's hedging your bets and it's probably the more advantageous thing to do as somebody that plays in a lot of dynasty leagues uh yeah so first of all um on the on the previous comment you you mentioned um film watching that is something that i cannot do i can I can watch games and be like, oh man, that was a pretty good run or whatever. But like, that's something I can't do. So, you know, when looking for an edge and stuff like that, I kind of had to live in the spreadsheets and, and that I do, I do 
Um, like I do that for my career. I do that for my job. I did that in school. Like that was kind of where I felt safe and stuff like that. But like um, draft capital is the ultimate like film film grade. Like yep. that's where every 32 NFL teams are telling you what their film grade is on a particular player. And that, that helps uh, tremendously uh, and through the process and why everybody puts a, 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 a giant weight on, on, on the film or on the draft capital piece, because um, those of us that don't know what we're, you know, what we're looking at um, you know, that, that helps us get that, that solved. Um so yeah, I appreciate that, and I appreciate people that can watch film and, and tell me tell me stuff. So I, I I am an avid reader of of and listener to to people that can um, watch it and tell me the things that I need to to look at um, when it comes to players. The the dynasty portfolio method, I think that 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 makes a, a lot of sense. I think uh, I I do understand why people play that way. I do think. So the way I think about it is is kind of like a, a stock portfolio, um, and so the way that my performance works is I'm relative to a benchmark. So call the benchmark the S and P 500, right? And there's different weightings for each one of those companies, right? So like Apple has a different weighting than um, than Fortif or whatever such and such company, Coach or whatever um, company you think about, and and so that would be something that's called like market weight. And the way that I like to think about it is um, I, when I make my bets, so when I say you should buy um, Deontay Johnson or I say you should buy um, Kyle Pitts, what I'm actually saying is you're not going to be able to buy him in every single league that you're in, but I want to be over the market weight for him. So if, if each player's market weight is, say, like, um, like a 12% or a 10% or something like that, I want to be, I want to, in my portfolio of, of all the leagues that I have, I want to have an overweight on him, which means I'm going to be underweight on somebody else, but I want to have an overweight on Deontay Johnson, on Kyle Pitts. So instead of owning, you know, 10 or 12% of, 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 I'm sorry, I have rostering 10 or 12% of Deontay Johnson or Kyle Pitts, I want to roster 25, 35% of those guys. And I want to make that bet because I think there's a market inefficiency out there in terms of what the price is for Deontay Johnson. And if I hold on to him and, and, and watch his price soar, then I can take advantage of that, sell it um, and, and, and create some extra value in my process. So that's, that's kind of how I think, I think about like overweights, market weights, underweights. Um, and I, I do understand the, the process of like, okay, I am a, I am a sell on Damian Pierce, right? So I, I want to be underweight Damian Pierce. Is that a do if the market weight is 12%, if the market rate is 10% on, on Damian Pierce. So on, 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 um, 10% of all of my teams, I have one share of Damian Pierce. I'm sorry, of all my leagues, I have one share of Damian Pierce, which equals 10% of all those things. Yeah. Um, should my underweight be like 5%? Should it be 1% of Damian share? Uh, like, I guess that's that gets the point of, should I own zero shares yeah. of Damian Pierce? I guess that gets the point of like how risk averse you are in terms of, you know, like um, your portfolio. And if you, if you're so strong on one opinion and, and you know, and instead of going to, to, from from 10% or uh, market weight, instead of going at market weight, you go to 5% or 1% or something like that. You're still making a bet, but you're sort of not taking the full 
you're like hedging a little bit by having him on one or two teams. I understand that process. That makes a lot of sense. And I can also understand why um, some people don't like that because um, you're, you know, you're saying sell Damian Pierce, but like you, you have him on one of your teams. Why haven't you sold him? And the, the other aspect of it is like, not all leagues are incredibly efficient in terms of like trading and stuff like that. So, um, you know, sometimes if you, even if you want to sell Damian Pierce or be underweight something and, and you have him on your squad, you can't move him for what market rate is or what cost is. And so you, you can't get to the position that you want to be in. So from a portfolio perspective, you're not exactly where you want to be, but that's always adjusting. And, and because different leagues act differently, I'm not like sell at any cost. It's always sell at a particular cost. And the, the reason I'm telling you to sell him is because I think he's overvalued, but I don't want you to sell him for less than what his current cost is yes. uh, in that perspective. So yeah. I don't know if that all made sense. And I kind of went on a big ramble there, but that's, that's sort of how I think about it. No, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I what people always say like buyers, buy or sell, like you don't just sell just to sell. Like you sell because you think that they are, they are, aren't worth what the market currently dictates that they're worth. You don't sell that person for less than what the market dictates because then it doesn't make any sense. So, but a lot of people may not know that. Is that I don't, I mean, people in this industry all the time say buy or sell. I don't know if most people take the time to really explain what exactly they mean by buy or sell. A lot of people just tweet stuff and then there's no context provided to it or anything or no actionable advice. What are you buying them for? What are you selling them for? Like give some players or some assets that you would buy or sell that you would sell for a certain player or you would buy for a certain player or something like that. So I think it's I think it all it all makes sense. Nerd, do you have any questions for Jay before we go to the listener ones? No, man. I mean, I think we're we're pretty aligned as far as you know how we think about dynasty and our values and whatnot. And um, portfolio is I think it should always reflect um, your actions out in the Twitterverse or wherever you're pumping content, you know, I think you should, like you said, you know, I, I, I have a million CD lamb and Justin field shares. I think that's, I own 90% of, of those two players in all of my leagues. So, um, and I, I, I'm very adamant about buying up those guys at their, you know, I, I don't care if CD lamb is, it's in the middle of the first. I think I'm still going to buy up CD Lamb, and that's how I feel. And um, I think my portfolio will reflect that. So I I agree, you know. It, 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 but I don't think it really matters because I don't think people should be placing judgment on how you play fantasy football either. Ultimately, you know. Yeah. So if, if somebody's telling you that, you know, you tell me to buy this guy and you're selling this guy, it's who cares, man? Just let people play fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the best the best way to go about it too. One of my biggest pet peeves though, when people just say buy a guy or sell a guy, it's like okay, like for what? Like I, like just I saying something, yeah. it's like it doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah, yeah I, so, I, don't know, I just think it's an empty statement in general. I'm a fiery Boston guy. I, I do have a um, JC is really toning me down a lot. He's he's in my back ear. He's he's really just whispering, um, you know soothing soothing methods to sweet nothings i'm not coming at people in a malicious way but i i do like actionable advice and i do like people sending out tweets that are helpful and not judgmental you know so if i see a judgmental you know people are like a lot of the kincaid talk for for example was 
people are drafting him over so-and-so. And I was, you know, I would always comment, well, you know, tell them who to draft him for or trade him for or, or give him anything. Um, Cause at that point you're just, you're just yelling out to the abyss about how you don't like um, people taking Kincaid, but you're really not giving them any advice to, you know, how you should approach that. Um, but JC, thank you for keeping me, you know, even keel. And, you know, mom and, <laughs> mom and dad, we got it. Jay, do you have time for some listener questions? Yeah, sure. Let's go. We just got like a couple here, but just want to run through them. Don't want to take up too much of your time. So how do you rate the 24 class to the 2022 and the 2023 class? Is it worth it to get those 24 first and seconds now to get ahead of the game? Yeah, so um, a lot of times the class have to do with like the very the top end talent. Talent, you know, we t- we talk about the the top end guys, the guys that can come in and, and be at the top of their position. And next year, twenty twenty four, we have Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison. I think those guys are pretty safe um, to be on that sort of like that Bijan level. And in twenty twenty three, we had Bijan. Um, in twenty twenty two, there were a couple of wide receivers, but nobody at you know, when we were taking, when we were doing it, uh, potentially like Brees Hall, maybe, and I, I, I really like Brees Hall. I think he's great, but uh, I don't think we were ever talking about Brees Hall like we were talking about Bijan, like we were talking about Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison. So, in terms of the top tier guys, like we got two, I think, coming in 2024. Um, I think 2024 has the opportunity to offer a ton of depth. So, like, we have Drake May, Travion Henderson, Raheem Sanders, Emeka Buka, Brock Bowers there in sort of that next tier. And I think it's possible, even possible, that one of those guys steps up into that that top tier, Bijan, Caleb, Marvin Harrison Jr. level. Um, and even if they don't, I think those guys are pretty safe to be um, fairly fairly good um, uh, rookie picks next year. Um, we just need to see um, the production for one more year. And that was, the, that was really the knock on what happened in 2023 was – we had a whole, we had a bunch of depth there, a bunch of guys that it was possible. The setup was perfect, and it, it really just they just didn't get it across the line. So anywhere from Quentin Johnston to Jordan Addison to Jackson Smith and Jigba being injured, um, like they just didn't quite like produce like you were hoping they would. And and don't get me wrong, they're good. Um, Quentin Johnston, Jordan Addison, JSN, they're good. They're great. Um, uh, but, um, they, they didn't ever, ever reach that upper echelon and, and get to the, the production that we want to need to see the QBs in last year's class. Um, so, or in this year's class, uh, um, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young. Um, I, I think they have probably high probability of success here. Um, but they're not like the high ceiling type players, right? So you can't project them to be a Mahomes or a Josh Allen given that they didn't show that they really ran too much uh, from that perspective. So like, you know, in terms of being that upper tier quarterbacks, yeah. I mean, I, I really like Bryce. I really like CJ. I think they'll probably be successful, probably be successful for a long time, but you know, were they that elite level guys? So, you know, that, that was an interesting, interesting class. Um, the 2022 class, um, gosh, that, I mean, we got Brees Hall and then we got like a crazy depth, full of wide receivers. There are a ton of great wide receivers from that class. Those, that class is uh, is going to, hopefully, um, those guys will all develop and continue on to be pretty pretty strong um, fantasy assets going forward. So, like, you got London, Burks, Jameson Williams, uh, obviously Chris, uh, Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave, um, Christian Watson, Jahan Dotson, um, 
you know, you know, just, just pretty good. But that year the QBs were not great. So, you know, like uh, I think 22, 22, maybe even 2023 were like, it, it wasn't like incredible depth. Then in 2024, you have um, some depth guys that if they come out and they kind of reverse of what the 2023 class, if they come out and they actually put up put up some numbers um, and then get the draft capital, there's could be some tremendous depth here. And, and I know we were saying the same thing in 2023, uh, but in 2024, let's let's do it again. But let's see if if it, we actually get it this time, right? So you got Braylon Allen, Will Shipley, Donovan Edwards. Uh, Trey Benson, Xavier Worthy, Troy Franklin, Keon Coleman, Jatavian Sanders, Bryson Nesbitt. There's a bunch more I can name. Yep. But we need these guys to step up. We need them to have a good year and then get the draft capital. Um, you know, like I was I was disappointed with the, the, the type of players that was getting draft capital in 2023. It, it tended to be like a lot of older wide receivers. Um, and there weren't as many running backs. I wanted a lot, a lot more running backs to get third round or better draft capital, so I'd have a lot more options there. Um, and and the wide receivers tended to be some of the older guys, um, the guys that are going to senior bowls, the guys that had you know fifth and even sixth year um, worth of production, and and sometimes didn't even produce very well yeah. throughout that. So that I mean that this. So I think there's a lot of potential in the 2024 class, um, and I think there's potential to be depth. But I think we're sitting kind of in a similar spot as we were going into 2023, where there's all this potential. We just need people to step up and show it, and then and then uh, once they do that, they'll probably get the draft capital, and then then we get a a giant f- a fantasy class where you're going into the mid second, and you're really excited about each one of these guys, yeah. and you think they can be difference makers. And and I, you know, like I, you know, they're definitely players I like in 2023. They're definitely players I like in 2022. So I'm not knocking any of these classes um and i i didn't actually answer your question but uh <laughs> there you go that's the, those are my thoughts um as far as as far as um and i'm not sure you're gonna get an answer from me i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it open um as far as as nice. far as um as far as um like buying picks out in the future yeah um i did i did some work on that i think buying buying picks from this is all from a ktc basis buying picks two years out is is actually the real value yeah. um, from these picks. So um, say you haven't done your 2023 draft yet. So like those picks are all still on, on the table. Mm-hmm. If you're buying 2024 picks, um, preferably you were buying 24, 24 picks last off season. Um, that is, that's the, where you get the, the incremental value that then, then those picks turn into, well, that could possibly be Caleb William. That's could have possibly Marvin Wilson. And a year ago, um, when those picks were well, that could possibly be John Robinson. That could possibly be C.J. Stroud. Um, that's where you get the value, and uh, people are are willing because it's so far in the future. People are willing to trade um, those picks a little bit more um, uh, with a little less value than the the picks that are attributed to closer closer to time. So I did. I actually looked at the KTC for the first round picks of mid, early, late. And the the value that you get is is buying those picks that are two years out, and uh, it, there there is some risk to that. So like the the league folds, um, you know, and you're holding all these future picks that you never really got to put to work. Um, that's that's an issue. The class ends up being a dud. That's an issue. But for the most part, um, just holding the picks, just buying the picks and holding them, is particularly first round picks. Um, they they will appreciate over time and get and get. 
uh, more and more expensive. And then it, even if you don't like the class, you can then then sell them and, and use them to create more value in other places. So, um, you know, picks never get injured. Um, and for the most part, they um, keep or accrue value. And so it, it makes sense to, 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 to have them, especially in like those, those leagues where you're rebuilding and stuff like that. And, and I would, my, my statement would be that don't be afraid to go two years out. If you're comfortable with the league setup and you think the league will be around for a while, don't be afraid to go two years out. Cause that might be where you get the most value in those first and second round picks. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you, that you transitioned to that because I was just pulling this tweet up because I remembered, I remembered the tweet. I forgot who tweeted it. It was from dynasty. I am. Uh, Ian Miller from the the 33rd team. He said last year at this time, a 2024 first was valued as the 86th highest asset on keep trade cut. It's now the 53rd highest valued asset. So it's jumped considerably just in a year, in a year's time. A 2025 first is currently valued as the 70th highest asset on keep trade cut. So reasonably, if it, if it, if it jumps the same extent that a 2024 first uh, jumped over the past year, you're hundred percent correct in that. Unless you're a, a Devi guy, you know, if you're a Devi guy, then you know, like what these, what the picks to these players are going to be two years from now. There's a lot of people that play dynasty that, that don't particularly care about Devi at all. So they're not putting Nicholas Singleton to a 2025 first or Quinshawn Judkins to a 2025 first. Like you were saying, Hey, my 2024 first, if I, if I do this tank correctly, it could be, Caleb Williams. It could be Marvin Harrison Jr. So it's a, it's a lot more difficult to buy those picks now, especially like you said, with rookie drafts already being done at this point. These are the rookie picks that they're going to build a productive struggle around. So completely agree. I don't think this is the time to buy 24 first and 24 seconds right now. I mean, if you are in a rookie draft and you're at the one oh the one ten. You don't really like anything on the board. If you could somehow flip it to a future first and just kind of kick the can down the road a little bit, go ahead and try to do it. Um, but I think a lot of people are saying that you like the first nine picks in this rookie draft or first ten picks or whatever, and then after that, there is no real consensus on where it is that these guys are going for the twenty twenty three class. So I think you probably are better off trying to buy twenty twenty five first right now as well. So I agree with your point. Um, yeah, that that um, that I saw that tweet that you mentioned. What was it? Ian Miller? Is that yeah. what it was? Yeah, and um, I actually did it uh, graphically. So um, it's it's out there on Twitter. I, I put the the the, the um, a grass. I graphed the the keep trade cut line over time over the last year of those twenty twenty four first, and you can actually see yeah. how it how it goes up over time. And it's really cool. I think it's a it's a different, unique way of doing it. And you mentioned like going from seventy on keep shoot cut to forty on keep shoot cut. You can see it visually on a, as a line on the graph. It's yeah. it's um, and that's that's kind of what uh, the whole study was about. That's 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 that was the point. So yeah, it hit the nail on the head right there. Perfect, nerd. We feel like you need to. This is from our guy Five Star Maddie. Uh, follow Five Star Maddie. He's he's our he's one of our graphics guys here. Part of the the Dynasty DGEN's team does a great job, uh, as well as Vince and and Nick Pentakoff, who's going to be on the podcast in a couple weeks. We do a lot of video cutups and stuff, so make sure you follow all those guys. But Maddie says, feels like you need to fade Blake Corum if you're a Devi analyst. Is this true? Question mark. Please explain why he won't work in the NFL. 
Nerd, do you have any thoughts on Blake Corum? Uh, see, I feel like it, if I go in depth on Blake Corum, it's going to be nonstop memes in the Discord for the next <laughs> two weeks um, of me and my face and then Blake Corum doing something in the background or whatever <laughs> it is. I can already see it happening. So um, I am I am not so out on Blake Corum. I think, you know, him, him staying – hurts his value. I don't think as a talent, I'm going to fade Blake Corum by any means, but I, I don't think his value is anywhere um, close to where it was. You know, unfortunately he took a, a massive hit this last year. So even, even though I don't think as a talent um, I'm, I'm low on him, but I think value wise, he would have to do some amazing stuff in this season to even boost up to the degree that, you know, I think he was originally valued at. So um, very political answer, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't hate Corum as a, as a talent by any yeah. means, but I think um, he's never going to see the DC or, I mean, it's going to be a tough road for him to, to get mm-hmm. to where people had projected him, um, had him projected previously. So, Jay, what are your what are your thoughts on Blake Quorum? Yeah, so it depends on what price it is. Um, you know, uh, like if he gets, and that's for the most reason why I haven't um, been advocating for Blake Quorum is just because it takes a, a a Debbie second or a Debbie third to to get him. Just because people know about him, he had a really great season last season, and um, you know, like he he had the production, um, and he he basically dominated. Uh, last year and so like at that price i'm i'm mostly out on him mm-hmm. but if i can pick him up for 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 values like many rounds later because because his you know price gets shot down because people are you know bashing him then there becomes a point where I, then i would want to jump back in um so it just kind of depends on and the price my process um you know like you know first uh, age-wise, going back for the fourth year is a little bit of a knock on 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 my my the way I look at it. So I want the the third year younger guys. Um, he's five eight two ten for a thirty two BMI. So size-wise, we're we're looking at um, something that looks perfect for running back. Um, uh, DraftScout.com has a four four two forty times. So his speed score is going to be really good if that's if that's true, given how how what he weighs. Um, his uh, yards per team play, um, first year and second. First year was missed. Second year was about online. Third year, um, he, he hit on the third year. So that that from a production perspective was is an okay chart from an age every age hitting we wanted to do. Um, market share receptions year two was pretty good. Year three came off quite a bit. So as far as um, him being uh, having share of the of receptions in the Michigan backfield. Um, that came off actually quite a bit. That's one that I, that's one of the watch items that I'd have for him in his fourth season. Um, I really want to see that that pop back up. Um, and he has a, a a decent running back in the backfield with him in Donovan Edwards yep. that uh, it kind of specializes in some of that. So I'm not sure if that actually if the receptions market share actually does pop up or not. The um, rush yards over expected um, from a cumulative basis is pretty good. And, and all this data is coming from um, Campus Can charts. They have these really cool charts that show you on a year-by-year basis, like where the production is versus, you know, like somebody that has done, has gone on to be successful in the, in, in those spaces. Um, uh, his PFF run grade, and this is what will crush people or like gives him, give people a lot of hope is 
He had a 96.2, which was RB1 yep. last year. That's above Bijan. That's uh, like higher than um, – uh, I, I forget what the, the number was, but it's higher than a lot of PFF mm-hmm. run grades in the in the recent past. Like it's it's a uh, a very high PFF run grade. So that's a, that's like a film grade that that the PFF is issuing them. So that's a that's a really good indicator there. That's that's pretty good, and and that's why people couldn't and can continue to be um, high on him. Um, so that you know, like I, I can go into more PFF details, but and give you a little bit of insight into the process. But really, it, it comes down to like what the cost is. Um, you know, like one other thing that I do is I, I, I look at like, um, analysts that are, or, you know, have good track records and, and, you know, over at the Debbie rail, Kevin Coleman, I do a, a podcast with him, you know, he's talking about how he's sort of out on, on Blake Corm at this, at this, um, at this price. And, you know, he's sort of talking about like, uh, I don't see it as an NFL prospect and stuff like that. And when people sit like that, say stuff that people have really good track records of knowing these types of things, my ears perk up and they, and it says, well, Oh, okay. Um, you know, like, okay, maybe draft capital isn't as safe as I thought it was. And so now I've got to like think about my process and how all those things interplay. And then, and that, that's how that, that works its way in there. They were pretty early on saying, well, Sean Tucker is not going to get the draft capital. And I'm looking at my model, my numbers. I'm like, he's hitting on everything. He's hitting on everything. What, what's, what's wrong here? It's, it looks perfect. And, you know, like come, you know, come time to, and they were early on this come time when it's time to draft him. And they're like, well, you know, the, the NFL teams, they, they all passed and, you know, for medical reasons or for whatever reasons, you know, like, you know, they were able to identify that this guy. And, and so for Blake Corman in general, um, uh, Kevin was is sort of out on him from that perspective. And, and, and so like, I got to put that and weigh that in my process and, and it, it tilts my process to say, well, you know, like maybe for, as a value, because he meets all these certain things. And if he gets his reception market share back up, and if he does this, like there's a chance that he can hit, but we're, we're still talking about a fourth year guy mm-hmm. that had a significant injury and he's not meeting every one of my thresholds that I want. So I'm not going to like put a, a tremendous amount of Debbie capital draft capital into trying to select this guy. Yeah. Jay, I was going to, I was going to ask you um, as far as, you know, his breakout age, the way that he is really dominating at a, a collegiate level last year um, as a 22 year old, you know, I, I thought, I thought that's um, he's going to be, he's going to be turning 24 his rookie year in the NFL, you know? So um, that, that is a glaring issue that I usually have with prospects. And I don't know if that goes in your process as far as, you know, I know you talked about breakout age and, and players that are coming out um, as, as seniors and having dominant years and um, you know, what, what kind of weight that has on the way that you kind of grade prospects and, and how you would kind of perceive them coming out. Um, I know that was a big knock on him just, you know, as, as a 22 year old in the NFL or in the, in the um, still in college. Um, yeah. Know, doing that, that, that kind of- that's a huge part of it. So yeah, I want the younger guys, the ones that produce early and then come out of college early. So I am very much less interested in the fourth, fifth, sixth year guys. And that's, that's a big knock in the, in the process. So I completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, when you watch Blake Corum, I mean, he didn't do anything on the field that didn't make you say, wow, that's a really good running back. 
Um, and he's keeping a guy off the field in Donovan Edwards, who a lot of people are now very much in on because of that receiving upside and stuff. But I mean, Blake Corum had the lion's share of that work uh, in terms of rushing last year uh, on a team that ran the ball an awful lot. So when you watch him, you're like, I don't know, is he kind of like a Maurice Jones drew type with like that 32% BMI? Like, could he be an outlier? And then it's like, well, on the other hand, could he be like Devin Singletary? Like, is that like a more realistic comparison for, for a guy like Blake Corum with that, with that size and Singletary tore it up a lot in college too. in that Lane Kiffin offense at FAU. So, um, it might be like a little mixture of both. I think the age probably is concerning. We're looking at like Rashad White and like Najee Harris, those guys that were that old coming into the NFL. And they've both had, you know, middling results in terms of efficiency. I would still make the argument that Najee Harris is a very talented running back. Um, I think he's not even in the same ballpark as Rashad White in terms of skill. But if we're just talking pure age, I think that's probably – where where that where Blake Corum lands in that in that kind of landscape to where he if he could hit or not, I do think he's probably going to get draft capital though. I I would be I would be yeah. pretty surprised if he if he didn't. Because yeah, that's the that's the upside case. The upside yeah. case is he turns into Charbonnet, which is um, he gets his receiving production up. He gets a third or better draft round capital. He, you know he's athletic and you know. Um, and then, then he gets the he gets the draft capital and he, he's a Charbonnet, yeah. and that that's like the the highest best case outcome. Yep. So last question, uh, no, we'll let, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for for giving us your time and stuff. Yeah, so, Caleb Williams, Drake May, pretty much consensus QB one, QB two of the twenty twenty four class. Who do you think rises up to claim the QB three spot in 2024? Or is it a dark horse that we don't have the name at the tip of our fingers right now that you think comes up and takes that spot? Yeah, I think the like the overall betting favorite would be Quinn Ewers. The problem is we just haven't seen it on the field. We've seen it in spurts, but we haven't seen in the production and and what it is. I think um though I think because of what a high school prospect he was and um and um, I think people are giving him the benefit of the doubt that it all gets put together and he ends up taking that that third QB spot. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of older guys that uh, are interested. I, I'm not interested in, but it's like they, there's their possibilities to get into the first round next year. Is like Spencer Rattler, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Jordan Travis, Carson Beck is one that's recently I've been looking into a little bit more. Um and so those guys, those guys potentially could be first round picks next year. Uh, but I would be, I'd definitely be the guy that be fading them just because they're the older guys. Um, the dark horses that I have this year as like guys that maybe potentially, I think I, and I'm, I might be high on him. I'm, I'm not sure why people aren't. I think there's a couple of points, but um, JJ McCarthy, um, the numbers are all there. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense um, from the stuff that I look at. The knock that I get is um, accuracy may be an issue, and particularly like deep accuracy. and And I don't watch every single game, so I, I'm not exactly sure. But like his completion percentage in total w- was pretty decent. Um, it wasn't something that set off alarm balls or anything like that. Um, but like people have broken it down where they show that um, you know like his accuracy for on certain types of passes or certain things. Or like when you you break apart the season, he was really bad during certain when he played tougher competitions or stuff like that. Um, so for me, like he still has to prove it, but that's the profile where if he if he actually has a prove it year, I think that's the guy that could come out of what's seemingly maybe nowhere 
to be um, maybe a, a third round guy if he puts it all together. Um, a couple other names I, I throw out: Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, but Devin Brown wouldn't be in next year's class. Kyle McCord, uh, who's presumptively going to be the starter at Ohio State, just because um, Ohio State is usually in the, the the championship round, plays some stiff competition, and has he has uh, a ton of um, weapons around him. Um, so the best probably wide receiving core. Um, some of the best running backs, uh, they, they are refitting their offensive line, but um, the, the structure, the setup, the infrastructure there at Ohio State, he could be one of those guys that comes on strong if he puts it all together. We just, it, it, to the extent that Quinn Ewers is an unknown and he hasn't shown in production, um, Kyle, Moore, Kyle McCord is even more of an unknown. And yes, he was a good uh, high school prospect, but we just don't know. And you can take a shot on somebody like like him as as coming from like a dark horse as as nobody knows. Um, but like it's not a it's not a, a crazy bet because th- these are like blue blood programs that people know about. It's just people don't know who these guys are yet. So, nerd, who do you think QB three? The door is wide open at this point. You're right because everyone that that he mentioned is really not going to be. I don't know. There's just such a, a massive drop off. Um, you know, yours is, is gotta be my go-to um, at this point. I think that it's really hard to argue against him. Um, even though he is relatively unproven. Um, I like the JJ McCarthy call. I do really like his game. Um, I think he does have some, th- some things to work on, but there's nobody um, in the three spot right now that doesn't have a lot to work on. So it's, it's definitely an op- opportunity for him to show out this year and, and maybe, you know, slide up into that first round. Um, it, it's, it's tough, you know, to be solid on one of these guys. Um, I think it's a testament to the massive teardrop after May um, in this class more than anything else. Um, so I, it's going to be fun to watch, but I, I, you know, I can't, I can't say for sure because I think we're going to be surprised on, on who, you know, dramatically goes up in our projections this year. Um, it's going to be fun to watch for sure. Yeah. I just to, uh, yeah, I, th- I agree that Quinn Ewers probably has the most upside given who he's playing with in the offense and the scheme that he's going to be running and, the upside that he brings is a five-star recruit that you figure he's got to put it all together at some point. I think a guy that we didn't really touch on Riley Leonard from Duke. I think Riley Leonard in a class with a bunch of old guys at quarterback, Riley Leonard is 20 years old. We have seen a Duke quarterback go in the top 10 in the last decade. So that, that, that sounds good too. So he, and he does have some rushing upside. Did an article on, on Devi quarterbacks for 2024. So he does have some, some rushing metrics that, that kind of checks some boxes off. So I think he has some upside there that maybe he can make some noise. But if you know me, I cape for, you know, at least a couple of guys every offseason. I think I'm going to be a Bo Nix guy. Um, Bo Nix, I think he's got the arm talent. I think he's got the legs to where he could do something with those as well. He just makes some throws on the field that I don't think a lot of quarterbacks make with the kind of athleticism that, that he has. So I, uh, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with Bo Nix. I think he's playing with a lot of good players on that offense, and I, I think it's a winnable Pac-12, or at least he's going to have to go up against Caleb Williams. So, And then Cam Rising came back to Utah and stuff, but we're not talking about Cam Rising. But I would say Riley Leonard and uh, Bo Nix if we're not going to go Quinn Ewers at QB3. But 
anyway, I think that was a pretty, pretty full show. Jay, do you have any articles or any work that you want to plug from football guys or the Debbie Royale? I know you said you're working on a running back article. You want to plug that? Yeah, the Dynasty Investor Series over at the Football Guys. Um, I've done two of them so far. The third one is finished. Uh, it should get published here soon in the next few days. It's on running backs. There's a really nifty look, looking uh, chart that one of the um, one of the guys, Billy Jones, on Twitter helped me help me create, and it's a cluster chart for running backs. And it graphically presents all these players in this on the same chart. And it's a really cool visualization. Um, that's in there. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and then um, over at the Debbie Royale, um, you know, there's a Patreon. Um, come join that. There's a lot of smart people, some good discussion in there. Um, we don't just talk about Debbie. It's Dynasty 2, but, you know, combining all of that together. Um, that's um, Jeff Bell, Christian Williams, and Kevin Coleman. Um, those guys are awesome. Please join. Um, Kevin and I do a, uh, weekly podcast. There's daily YouTube videos, there's rankings, there's all different kinds of things there. And that's the Debbie rail. And it's, it's a Patreon that you can join. I concur. Yeah. Follow underscore Jason Stein on Twitter. I don't think I gave your Twitter handle at the beginning of the show. Nerd. Do you have anything that you want to plug before we sign off? Um, yeah, it's really just mostly our pod this week. I am with um, Dynasty After Dark tomorrow night um, talking with those guys. I don't even know what we're talking about, but I know we're going to be on tomorrow night. So if you want to tune in and, and listen to that, um, I, I yeah, there's nothing nothing on the horizon. Um, speaking of Debbie Royale, next week we do have Kevin Coleman on the show. So Du Bois is joining us. Um, like, like Jay said, please go join the Royale discord, go in the Patreon and, and check that out. Um, there's so much stuff that can benefit you. And it's not just Debbie, like, like Jay said, it's, it's kind of all over the place. And um, it is a fun little discord to, uh, to really pick the minds of some of the best guys in the, in the space. Um, and, and Jay, I can't say enough how much I appreciate you joining us tonight. Jay is the most underfollowed guy on Twitter for what he does and the content that he puts out. So if you are not following, at Jason Stein on Twitter, please go do that. Um, it's a disservice to, you know, our, our community in general that he's not over 10 million followers right now. Um, so just, just go on and, and give him a follow and um, come check us out next week. Yeah. You're too kind. You're too kind. Thanks. JC, anything? Oh uh, yeah. I, so I tweeted from our video cutups that Nick's been putting together for the DGEN's YouTube page. So if you could, if you guys could go and subscribe to our YouTube page as well, we got cutups from all the 2024 class pretty much so far, the projected first round at least. Uh, so it's been a really good resource. Nick's really hit the ground running, done a good job. Follow at Nick Pentakoff there, subscribe to our YouTube page. I tweeted uh, from the Raheem Sanders cut up that Raheem Sanders was RB1 in the 2024 class. So somebody commented asking how it is that I view the 2024 class and 2025 class running backs or Debbie running backs compared to the, the, the dynasty running back landscape right now. So I linked the football guys uh, college show. They just did that. So I was like, but you know what? I'll just steal the exact same idea and I'll just do my own. But instead of doing like rankings, I'll put them in tiers of base first or base seconds values so by base first. I mean, you're not saying it's a mid, it could be 
just as likely a late as it is an early, just in a vacuum, a first round pick value. Um, so I broke it down like that in terms of trade assets or what it would take to acquire somebody like that, in my opinion, at least, and kind of broke it down. I did my top 48. So you can check it out on my Substack, jcjdynasty.substack.com. But that's pretty much it. Just the podcast and the YouTube page. If you could shoot that a subscribe, that'd be great. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys.